Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Today's scripture reading is Hebrews 10, verse 32 through 34. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Good morning, God is good all the time. Years ago, there was a little Jewish boy born in Haifa, Israel. His mother had been a survivor of the concentration camps. She was Hungarian Jew. And after she survived, she went to the motherland, Israel, where she met and married a man, and they had a son. Their sons, they named him Chaim. You may have heard the toast that Jews give sometimes. Chaim means to life. So his name meant life. Little Chaim and his mother Florence wouldn't have his father around very long because his father would just leave, abandon them, if you will. So as things were very tumultuous in Israel at that time, he and his mother were standing in line at the American consulate, and one of the gentlemen looked out and saw her with her little boy and waved them on up to the front. And so she gets up front, and he says, do you speak English? And she shook her head, no. And so then He says, Sprechen Sie Deutsch? And she said, Ja, she could speak German. And so they spoke back and forth in German. And he said, you've been accepted. You can come and live in the United States of America. But before you do, I need you to raise your hand and you have to pledge allegiance to the United States. Knowing only what she knew, Florence raised her hand. And the gentleman at the consulate very gently lowered her hand and said, you will never have to do that again. And then took her right hand and raised it as such, and she swore allegiance. They moved to Israel, and Chaim would later give interviews, and he would say, everything is big in America. He said, people talk about Israel, Canaan being the promised land. He said, America is the promised land. He said, I walked into stores, and you've got groceries on long rows that are very tall. He said, we didn't have that. I'd never seen anything like that. He said, and you can come here as an immigrant with nothing, and you can make yourself something. Now, he doesn't go by the name Chaim anymore, but he goes by the name of Gene, Gene Simmons, the bassist for the rock and roll band Kiss. But his story of immigration is very, very fascinating. And it's really interesting to hear immigrants and their perspective of this country. 
mainly because sadly there's a lot of Americans who were born here who, for whatever reason, either they were taught it or they've come to believe, but they hate this country. Meanwhile, you still have many people trying to escape to come here. Cubans, Bosnians, Israelis, and various others who live in horrible circumstances. And one of the reasons that they want to come here, among many others, is because of what our veterans have done. Many have served over the years, all the way from the revolution up to the present date. Some have seen conflict. Some have come home with physical scars. Many have come home with scars that you and I will never see. I want to read to you a passage, and then I want to offer a prayer. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. When Paul wrote those words to the Romans, it was during a time when Christians in Rome were facing persecution. So he doesn't say, if it suits you. He says, this is what you and I are supposed to do. Let's pray together. Father, we may take for granted the land in which we live, but we'll never take for granted those who have given up their autonomy to become a part of the armed services and to serve in whatever capacity they could. We thank you for our veterans, for those that have served, those that are serving. We thank you, Father, for those who never made it home and pray your blessings upon their families. Lord, we are thankful that heaven will be made up of people from all tribes and tongues and nations. And so while we are very proud of our own nation, Father, we're even more so proud of the nation that we shall come to inherit, the kingdom of God. And so, Father, while we live on this earth, help us to live as citizens of that heavenly kingdom, giving honor to you and... Also, as we live on earth, giving honor to whom honor is due. Bless us. Bless our veterans, Lord. Bless our nation and her leaders on all levels. We pray for them, Lord, that they would do what is just, that they would do what is pleasing in your sight, and we pray that they would all seek your righteousness. We pray, Father, for those who have wanted to rid you out of schools, out of courthouses, out of public buildings, Lord, let us not look upon these things with discouragement, but with an opportunity that now the good news of Jesus Christ can be even more bright given what these things that have taken place. So as we are Christians, let us live as Christians and let us be faithful to you above all things, even if that means that we must disobey 
those whom you have put in charge. So Heavenly Father, help us to walk in a way that is honoring to you, in a way that is uh, subject to those who rule over us. And we thank you, Lord, for this great country into which we are born. And for those who aren't as fortunate in that regard, uh, we pray for them, Lord, that they will withstand what they face, and if possible, that they could be in a safer place. So, Father, be with us. Bless this land. Bless all the nations of the earth, that they too would seek you in righteousness and holiness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this passage from Hebrews really gives you the whole context of what's occurring to the Hebrews that are living in Jerusalem, but that have also confessed Jesus as their Lord. They have received the word of the Lord, they have obeyed the gospel, but now they're facing a lot of persecution. Uh, Paul, uh, Paul uh, Freudian slip, it doesn't say that Paul wrote it, even though many suggest it, we don't know who the author is. The author, however, reminds them, recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companion of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. Think of all the things that they have endured. Receiving the word as they did and the circumstances they did, it was not easy. We, however, we have it very easy and yet still refuse Many refuse to accept and obey. But they accepted and they obeyed while they were dealing with a lot of struggles, with sufferings, with reproaches, with tribulations, having compassion even in the midst of that. A lot of times when we're under stress and when we're enduring, a, enduring something very horrible, the first thing that may go is our compassion for others because we focus only on ourselves. But still, this is all that they're that they're facing, and, and the whole aim of the book of Hebrews is the author saying to them, don't give up, because many of them are saying, you know what, we didn't face this when we were just Jews. We'd go to the temple, we'd make our offerings, we would serve God on the high holy days, we would keep kosher, we would do all these other things. This Christianity is not as easy as what it was when we were just Jews, and so they're, they're leaning towards going back to just being Jews and no longer followers of Jesus. And so the whole argument, it begins in chapter 1. Jesus is greater than the angels. And he begins at the highest and he works his way down. Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than the law because the angels gave the law. Jesus is greater than Moses, the lawgiver. Jesus is greater than the Aaronic priesthood because he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So the argument is being made, what you now have as a Christian is greater than what you had. So don't go back to what you had because of now what you have. Suffering as you have, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. And so I ask, do you believe that? Do you believe that you have a better and enduring possession in heaven. And then whatever you're facing, many of us have it easy. There's no complications of life. We're very fortunate. God has blessed us. But some are facing many other things. Some are facing failing health, incurable diseases, 
family members who are in situations they wish they were not in, having suffered, having been traumatized. And sometimes when you go through these things, you ask yourself the question, is it really worth it? The author would say, you should know that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. So if you have the great struggle, if you have the sufferings, the reproaches, the tribulations, you can still have compassion, even if they come into your home and take everything that you have. You can live contently because you know that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourself in heaven. Is it worth it? There are a few people I'd love to talk to, and I can't tell you all of them, and there are probably some that you would want to talk to as well. And one question I would ask them, is it worth it? I want to know. Carl, is it worth it? You went through an awful lot. But where you are now, is it worth it? Tommy, you went through an awful lot too there at the end. But where you are now, is it worth it? Todd, for a very long time, declining. Knowing the outcome, where you are now, is it worth it? Mariana, even to the last time I saw her before she closed her eyes, had a smile on her face, where you are now, is it worth it? Oh, sweet Kinsey. Is it worth it? How do you think they would answer? I'm willing to bet, and I know there are some here, and you have no clue who any of these fine folks are, but you have someone who has passed away, who has gone on to eternity, that maybe you would like to ask them that question too. Is it worth it? I have an idea what every one of them would answer. I believe they would say, yeah, it's worth it. If only you could see. If only you could hear. No longer confined to bodies ridden with disease, now free and have gone to be with the Lord forever. I want to make the case that our faith, no matter what we may suffer, no matter what we may endure, is worth it. James says that life is but a vapor. It appears for a while, and then it's gone. And that vapor for some of us will be 60 to 80, maybe 90 years, who knows. For some, it may be a lot shorter. But I want you to think about something because when you lose people that you love dearly and you look at the circumstances and you say, this is not fair. 
At least for me, I'm prone to live a life of bitterness over it. But then I think about my gram. Multiple sclerosis, steadily declined, losing her sight, eventually unable to walk, bedridden. And yet her faith was such an example to me. Walk into her room and she had that little fat chihuahua. They named him E.T. He looked about like E.T., except he was a lot more plump. And you had to get E.T.'s permission before you could approach the bed. And you'd have to go, E.T., is it all right? And if E.T. growled, give it a second. If E.T. wagged a little tail, then okay, you can go. So you'd go, and Graham, you doing okay? She'd smile, yes, I'm praising the Lord. Graham, is it worth it? I think she would say, you keep being a good little boy. You keep loving Jesus and following him because it's worth it. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we know that if our earthly house, speaking of this body, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan being, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up. I love reading 1 Corinthians 15 because it gives me a glimpse of what is to come. We get a new body, a celestial body, a body that isn't prone to decay, a body that isn't prone to sickness, a spiritual body. What's it going to be like? I don't know, but I know this is what Paul says. And boy, I like the sound of it. I really like the sound of the heavenly body that we shall one day be given by the Lord at the resurrection. There was a Christian railroad engineer speaking to a group of his fellow workers, and he was talking about heaven, and he said, I can't begin to tell you what the Lord Jesus means to me. In Him, I have a very precious hope, so let me explain it. Many years ago, as I neared the end of my run each night, I would always let out a long blast with the whistle just as I'd come around the curve. Then I'd look up at the familiar little cottage on the hill. My mother and my father would be standing in the doorway waving to me. After I'd passed, they'd return inside and they would say, Thank God, Benny is home and safe tonight. But they're gone now. And nobody's there to welcome me. But someday, when I have finished my earthly run and draw near heaven's gates, I believe I'll see my precious mother and father waiting for me, and they will turn and they will say to the other, thank God, Benny is home, safe at last. There's a popular song, I can only imagine is the title of it. And if you get a chance, read the lyrics. It, it really, really makes you think. Will I, will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? I can only imagine. You think about the excitement and the joy that we may have when we see the Lord. But you also think about the holy God that might reduce us to such reverence. What will we do? I can only imagine. But thankfully, He gives to us not only the hope 
of a new body, one that we don't have to worry about, but that will be very blessed. But he also gives to us a hope of something far better. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Hope. There was a letter that was discovered somewhere near Vicksburg, Mississippi. Uh, it was dated to, during the time, the Battle of Vicksburg. And the Confederacy had dug in, but the Union just constantly barraged them to the point that they were running low on supplies. And so the commander of the Confederacy had sent word asking for reinforcements. And this little letter that was found was dated to just a day or two before they surrendered Vicksburg. And the letter said, you can expect no hope from us on this side. We are bogged down. Imagine getting that letter and reading it in that circumstance and thinking, we have no hope. But as Christians, we do have hope. Alexander Pope wrote, hope springs eternal in the human breast. Man is, but always to be blessed. But what does it mean when hope dries up? Where does a man turn when he feels there's no hope? The director of a medical clinic told of a terminally ill young man who came for his usual treatment. And there was a new doctor who saw him and very, very bluntly and, and very cruelly said, you know, don't you, that you won't live out the year. So the young man left and he stopped at the director's desk and he, and, and he just wept. And he said to one of them there, he said, that man took away my hope. To which... The, director, the doctor replied, well, maybe it's time to find a new hope. Lewis Smedes commented on this incident. He says, is there a hope when hope is taken away? Is there a hope when the situation is hopeless? The question leads us to Christian hope. For in the Bible, hope is no longer a passion for the possible. It becomes a passion for the promise. If you believe... In God, if you believe in the words of the Bible, then you have to believe in the promises that Jesus has made. The promise of what is to come for this eternal life, the promise that He will come and bring us back to Himself, the promise that we can live in the place where tears are wiped away from our eyes, where there is no more death, no more sorrow, because Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. I don't make it like it was, that kind of new. I make it something different, a different type of newness. That is the hope that we have. If we didn't have that, what do we have to look forward to? I've often wondered, how can a person be an atheist? And it's not to be a smart aleck about it, but I, I, it makes no sense to me. It makes no sense. I, I, I can't believe that life comes from non-life, that order arises out of chaos. Uh, it, it doesn't make sense. There's a book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. If you're ever curious, you might want to read it. It's pretty good. A lot of good information. But I, I, you know, someone asked the question, uh, uh, what would it take for you to lose your faith? I'm like, I, I can't envision something that would cause me to lose my faith. That doesn't mean that there's not anything. I just can't think of anything that would cause me to lose my faith. 
even if you say, well, let's step away from the Bible, let's step away from Christianity, I, I still believe there is a supreme God. And I believe the revelation of that God is found in the person of Jesus Christ. I don't see any way that I would ever get to a state of faithlessness. But because I have the faith, I'm very confident in the hope that we have for us. The expectation of what is to come. The things of this earth can uh, drown out our expectation. Uh, it, It can drown out our hope. As we go through and as we get older, we, we uh, have failing health, the body breaks down. I know some of you have new parts, got new knees and hips and shoulders and other things, got a bunch of bionic people among us. They can even take and replace a heart valve. My father-in-law had to have one replaced years ago. Was it a pig valve they gave him? Stephanie, you think so? A pig valve? Yeah, so he's, I don't know, a a 116th oink. I don't know. But they can replace that. That's, it's, medicine has gotten so much better that that there's treatment for a lot of the ills. You know, this year, (laughs) I told somebody the other day, I said, I have never been more sick or sicker than I have been this year. And here it is. So I'm like, "Uh, don't get too excited. Uh, I turned 40 in February, then a week after, I had COVID. And then a week or two after that, I had a kidney stone. And then a week or two after that, a stomach ulcer. And then for a period of about six to seven weeks because of medicine changes, oh, couldn't hardly function. Then a couple weeks ago, I get strep throat. Turning 40 is great. Hope you look forward to it. And I'm sitting there going, I'm so young. This is, right, when I was a kid, 40 was ancient. Man, you're old. Well, what about your granddad? He's old as dirt. There's a difference. David, does it get any better? No? I think this might have been the one time God would have been okay if you lied to me about it. I go to the doctor, have some blood work done, go back for the consultation, get the results. And I, I, I told Jeannie, I said, it's amazing that I'm even standing all the different things they say, well, you're deficient in this, you're deficient in that. I'm like, do you have anything positive to say? Yes, we can fix it. Okay, all right, that's good. And so I'm sitting here going, look at how young I am and the, all these issues that are, that are uh, uh, you know, health and all that. And I go, you know, this is not fun at all, but it's fixable. Not only is it fixable, it's something that will not be eternal. Though this vessel runs down, my inheritance isn't something that will fade or decay or that will run down. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Notice this. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away. I like that. Everything here is corruptible, defiled, and fades away. But the hope that the Lord offers us is an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that doesn't fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Is it worth it? 
I wholeheartedly believe it is. Though many things may be bad, though many things may not be all that grand at times, it's okay because literally it's going to get better. It's going to, I'm not saying right here, but it's going to get better. No matter how bad it is, it's going to get better. There was a story, preachers have told this illustration, so it's not original to me. Maybe you've heard it. But there was a lady who, as she was uh, preparing to, to die, she, she said to the funeral director, she had him on out, she wanted to make the arrangements and not burden her children, pray, pay for it and all that. She said, I want you to do me a favor, though, and this is an unusual request. He said, okay, what would you like me to do? She said, I want you to put a fork in my hand when I'm in my casket. I said, okay, oh, that's what you would like, we'll do it. She said, but I want you to explain why I wanted that fork. She said, when I was a little girl and I'd be at my grandparents or at home, we had dessert at the end of every meal. If you cleaned your plate, you got dessert. And so mama would bake a pie or she'd make a cobbler or something like that. And then when it was time, she'd say, pick up your fork. And we'd all hold our fork knowing that the best is yet to come. The dessert. So I want everybody to know when they file by and they gawk over me and they see that fork, I want them to know the best is yet to come. I may not know what many of you are going through, if you're going through anything at all. You may be struggling with faith or even with life itself. But here's the hope that I want to leave you with from the words of our own Savior, Jesus Christ. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. Notice this. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Is it worth it? Yeah. It's worth it. It is so worth it that the price that was paid was the Son of God came to earth, willingly gave himself over to the shame, to the ridicule, and all that accompanied being crucified on a cross. The worst form of death that a human could have suffered in that time. That's the price. The price has been paid. The Savior has risen from the grave. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father in the heavens where He intercedes for us. And He has given us His good news. The good news of hope, of a hope that is enduring, of the promise of a body that does not fail, but that will live on forever. He gives us good news. If you like that good news, all that He asks in return to begin your walk with Jesus to begin your walk with God, have faith. You believe. You must believe. And if you believe, don't be afraid to confess what it is you believe. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That was the confession they gave then. And that's the one we still give today. We repent of our sins. That is, we turn away from sin and, and, and we, we, uh, we go the other way. Marshall Keeble gave a good illustration of this when he was preaching a sermon. He said, I'm going to tell you what repentance is. He said, I was walking down the street one day, and Marsh Keeble was carrying a cane with him at the time. I was walking down the street one day, and this little dog got a hold of my, got a hold of my pant leg and got a hold of You know how they do. 
He said, I turned and I bopped him on the head with that cane and he turned and went the other way. He said, that's what repentance is. You turn and you go the other way away from sin. So, and that's something we will continually do our whole lives because this flesh is so weak. So have faith, confess your faith, repent of your sins, and finally be buried with Jesus in the waters of baptism so that you become a follower of Jesus. Don't just get wet, but be born again of water and spirit. And then walk with the Lord all the days of your life. Some may be troublesome, some may be hard, but it's worth it. If you want to begin that walk today, you can do so. Come forward as we stand and sing.